As a Papuan Australian woman, I acknowledge that I am a settler on this land that I live, work and create on. I acknowledge there are ongoing native title cases on this land today due to the impacts of colonisation and I want to pay my respects to the many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples of this country and to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome listeners to another episode of Our Women, Our Stories. This podcast is a sub-phase of an Australian Council of the Arts funded project called Our Knowledge, Our Practice, Our Stories. This project is exploring the ways we elevate, engage and embed the voices, work, knowledge and cultural practices of Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander and Pacific Islander women into our everyday lives. In this episode, I speak with three Pacific Islander businesswomen, Lauren, who is the owner of Lauren's Littleys, a family daycare centre, Talisi, who is both an artist and the business owner of Uniquely Pacific, and Fipe, who is the co-owner of Living Coco. For those who have been regular listeners to this series, I want to thank you for your time and commitment. The project Our Knowledge, Our Practice, Our Stories officially ends this month, but there has still been demand for this podcast series to continue, so stay tuned as I explore what capacity there is to keep this series going. In today's episode with Lauren Fipe and Talisi, we explore what the reality of being a First Nations businesswoman is in, t- in today's world, pre and post COVID-19. I really valued the honesty from these women. Each of them had taken the time to step away from their businesses and dive deep into reflection with me. They laughed, shared and exchanged stories. And what was really beautiful about this particular recording is that even despite being in different cities and states, the experiences are similar. And when opportunities arise to connect with like-minded women it can be really healing so i want to say thank you again to these ladies and i hope listeners you will have multiple learning nuggets from this episode like i did let's introduce your podcast guest now um and my name's lauren chan um i am born and raised in australia in queensland but my um my mum's white australian my dad is a chinese papua new guinea and born in papua new guinea in lay um, so that's where my dad's family comes from. Um, and I run a family daycare business in the Sunshine Coast, oh, on the Sunshine Coast in Gubby Gubby Country. Um, and yeah, my name's Talisi Mielisa. Um, my villages, or my dad's villages, are Fagosi, Suosivi, uh, and Fungapo. And my mum's villages, um, Matautai um, and Sapali. I'm born and raised in um, Auckland, New Zealand, West Auckland, out Messi. My name is Fipi Price. Um, my mum's village is Fausu and Suisenga. My dad is from Fadima and Afenga. Um, my cultural background is Samoan, German, Scottish. Now that you have met our guests, let's dive into the episode. To lead our conversation, I asked these ladies to tell me about what their business is, what gap it fills in the current market, and what is their why? Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, we own Unique Pacific. Um, it started, oh, shucks. So about, about 11 years ago, 12 years ago, I just, picked up a brush um it'd been years before I'd even painted or anything um took on like you know mum duties and so when we moved over in Melbourne last year um 
I just I just got into painting. I just I got back to it, um, and then I found that a lot of people were asking if I was selling. Which for me, selling artwork and asking people for money, it's it's hard. It was really hard to sort of grasp, you know, grasp a hold of of you know who would want to buy my work. It, it was that kind of talk. Um, but just over the years, um, you know, I, I guess I guess after doing the work that I do and seeing that people really appreciated it and that um, I just wanted to to fill that gap of, of doing affordable work. So we've moved into doing um, prints and, you know, like home, sort of home decor, but I don't want to call it decor. Um, yeah, just, just more affordable works um, that represent our culture. Um, and just, and also we do custom artworks. So a lot of people reached out um, wanting to do mixed cultures because a lot of the Samoans had Fijian or Tongan or, you know, so, you know, respectfully doing uh, research and getting permission from, you know, um, my clients, um, you know, friends I've made along the way as well. So, you know, I, I like to pour my heart into, you know, it really is coming from a, a very sacred place, um, the artwork. So the why I would say, the reason why I do what I do is um, I believe it's a calling. Um, you know, for for years I've been sitting on a talent that I pretty much buried for maybe a good 15 years, you know, prior to starting it back up again. Actually, yeah, about 15 years. So um, I feel it's, um, I feel it's, it's something that I, I really want to showcase, you know, how, how big, our, you know, our, how great our God is, and and along those lines, it's it's just it's it's really just a walk for me, like a um, a spiritual walk. Creating the work I do, you know, I do it from a place of love. I I, I like to think that the work that I do um, is glorifying uh, God's name. You know, I I really talk on social media. I find it really hard to talk it up. You know, um, it's something that I find really hard to do. You know, but I know it has to be done. Um, but yeah, that, that's definitely my why. Um, it's just my spiritual walk. Uh, so I run my own family daycare centre or centre in my house. Um, I started out in long daycare centres not long after I finished school. I'm not really sure how I got into it. It was just kind of a, you know, you finish school and you're trying to find out what you're going to do for the rest of your life kind of thing. And a family member suggested that I try out early childhood so I was kind of like all right I'm not doing anything else why not <laughs> and then ended up really enjoying it and liking it so that's what I've been doing for most of sort of my adult life um yeah started out in long daycare centers in both Queensland and in Western Australia in remote communities in Karapa um and then um, I let, ended up leaving the industry for a while and going into mining and construction. And then when I was thinking about getting out of that industry, I was going, oh, am I going to go back into um, long daycare centres and all that sort of stuff? And then ended up deciding to go into family daycare instead. Um, I thought it was a way to, I guess, take a bit more control over what, sort of programs and experiences I was able to offer that you kind of don't really get in large education settings. You don't have a lot of control. You just kind of have to 
fit within the guidelines of what's been given to you. So I was excited about being able to kind of tailor make what I was going to be able to do with the kids and I guess share a bit more of my culture with the kids as well. Um, And I think that the pandemic over the last few years has, you know, shown what what gap um, family daycare kind of provides in that lots of people didn't want to send their kids to a centre that has, you know, 250 kids in the one little area and all that sort of stuff. So it was good to be able to have just your six families and seven families that would bring in there. You know, you can create a bit more of a community with them. You get to know the families and you get to know the siblings and the aunties and uncles that come and pick up kids and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, having having a bit more control over what my day looks like and the kind of like a bit more flexibility in being able to tailor educational programs and experiences to not only me and my culture, but the culture of the families that are represented within in our little community that we have. So my business is, um, I have uh, two, one is called Living Koko. Uh, Living Koko is a social enterprise that um, is currently working with over 130 domestic plot farmers in the Pacific Islands. Um, we're a huge believer in uh, food sovereignty and also um, our Pacific peoples having ownership of their food systems. Um, I found that a lot of the power within the capitalist structure was in a marketing and um, I guess in the Western frame, it was in the marketing and selling side of things and not really with the producers and the farmers. So with Living Koko, it was about creating something that um, had a really shared valued approach that everyone along the the value chain felt honored and respected and, and ensured that everyone was not paid, you know, just a living wage, you know, paid a wage that they could actually grow their own business. You know, our small plot farmers back home are entrepreneurs themselves. You know, they, they have their own businesses too. So respecting that um, was what we, I guess, one of our foundations or our values. Um, I was never really a chocolate maker. My gosh, I only started making chocolate like five, six years ago. And my family's always been in cacao. Um, I, uh, my family grew up on cocoa plantations back in Samoa. So the understanding of how to cultivate cacao um, using indigenous practices, um, you know, governed by moon cycles and understanding environments and things like that was just easy second, you know, easy knowledge to my family. Um, and making cocoa Samoa is, you know, something that we just do. But the making of chocolate was like, what's that? Um, it's like a whole science, um, which I've only really just learned over the last five, six years um, with Living Coco. So when we created Living Coco, we were trying to find overseas markets for our cacao back home for our Samoan Coco. Um, what happens in a lot of other uh, cacao farm 
countries like uh, Western Africa and and also in Papua New Guinea, like there are people purchasing the cocoa from the farmers and and paying like next to nothing. Like it's you know sometimes a dollar for for five to six kilos. Like it's or less exploitation. Yeah, hardcore exploitation. Um, and so um, living cocoa is also about well, you know, uh, how can we support uh what's the word uh self-determination back home in samoa um how do we uh create a trade and not aid approach um because you know uh, aid has its positives and also a lot of its negatives in our pacific spaces and also how do we relieve some of the um support and remittances that are sent back from our people back here in New Zealand and um, Australia and that is by you know creating self-determination and supporting entrepreneurs and small business pot farmers back home um, so to do that we needed to find overseas markets <laughs> I'm so bad at selling um, but I try and man I totally hear you on like having to understand pricing and and like it was all caught up in my own worth knowing how to talk about it knowing how to price things and not be ma about it and um and then <laughs> and then have a price that was good enough that i walked away feeling comfortable with yeah. i walked yeah. away feeling like i just gave it all away <laughs> <laughs> oh man i'm still learning today and yeah and then you know and also you know sometimes just seeing how the palangis do i'm like oh okay yeah like what a rip-off no yeah you know yeah i know exactly what you mean it's like yeah. far out you know yeah and like, <laughs> and like the words i'm like man they're like, like, they're yeah so yeah they market it so i'm like i gotta get fancy with this too oh, no. <laughs> i can't you know and you, you know we know i know it's a premium product i know mm. our homelands are organic the soil yeah. is you know amazing yeah um our home is pristine our home is where everyone here wants to go you know um and and you can taste the different in our produce so um you know i just had to get over my own i had to get over myself and my own yeah, yeah. <laughs> to represent it um and sometimes i do that well and sometimes i don't do it well but mm. it's all learning eh? and it's all a journey you just grow thick skin along the way um <laughs> We created a zero waste manufacturing space here in Nam. So um, I am in Wurundjeri country um, of the Kulin Nations where I am so blessed and privileged to uh, have my business um, and you know raise living cocoa here. And in our manufacturing space, we make lots of cacao products from chocolate, drinking chocolate, and then we also make um, a skincare range, um, and all like a lot of our products were, like for example, our skincare product was I had I had burnt a whole bunch of cacao and it tasted like really gross, and so I was like, well, what can I do else with cacao that isn't eating it? So did all this research and everything, and realized, oh, okay, I can make um, body scrubs, and I'm making this, and so you know 
just trying to get creative. Which, as we do as Pacifica people, you get creative. Um, mm. So there's no wastage because yeah. <laughs> you don't waste the money. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, that's us. I guess. Um, oh, there's so many whys, eh? Mm. Like when you try and figure out your why, you like to pay the bills. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was my first notes on the <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> like my loans um <laughs> so to pay my bills but also um you know the more we activate our homelands back home in Samoa, the less uh uh less possibility there could be for um our governments or people in power to remove some of our custodial lands from our villages and if we can activate it in a way that, you know, Koko doesn't take too much um, support in cultivating, um, it takes three years to grow it to, for a fruit, but, you know, if I can find markets for it, it's an automatic cash crop for a, a lot of people. Um, and we went from bringing over 400 kilos in our first two, three years, and to now like, uh, 6,000 kilos. So wow. you know, the more we can, the more we can bring over and the more cocoa and chocolate and things we can make, the money is going directly back to, you know, our communities back home. And it's, and it's, a, and it's, um, you know, fair and ethical trade. It's really nice to hear about uh, all of your whys. And one thing that I found in all of your responses is that you're all thinking of different ways that you can embed your own cultural perspectives in, into your work. So whether it's in the programs that you run or the designs that you make or the way that you work in your business. Uh, I wonder if you could all share a little bit about why is that important? Like, why couldn't you just do what the market is currently doing? Oh, well, I guess mine's pretty easy to answer, so I'll go first. But um, in education, I think it's very, uh, I guess, Eurocentric. You know, the way that we learn in schools and all that sort of thing. So I think early childhood education has come a long way in um, developing different ways of engaging kids who might not necessarily follow uh, standard, if you want to put it in inverted commas, you know, Eurocentric ways of learning, you know, sitting in classrooms and, you know, sitting there for eight hours a day and all that sort of thing that some kids just can't focus like that, can't do, you know. So early childhood has, I think, come a long way in in trying to find different ways to engage different types of kids but there's always kind of if especially in long daycare centers you know it's a business in the end and you've got to kind of pump the kids out in that conveyor belt of you know making money and doing it the cheapest way possible so um i thought that especially by opening up my own family daycare i would by having a bit more control i could you know put my resources where I thought that um, there was a bit of a gap and what um, my community and my um, possible clients were telling me that they wanted from early childhood education. So um, it's pretty easy to, especially with small numbers, to um, work with your families and give them something that they want and 
something that I think, especially with lots of young families coming up, um, you know, they want a bit more inclusivity. They want their kids exposed to different cultures and different languages and um, different things like that. So, um, yeah, it's just a bit easier to, um, you know, I think people are looking for something as an alternative to the standard every cookie cutter, everything you get from everywhere else sort of thing. So it was kind of an easy thing to to be like, hi, I'm over here, you know, come come, come, have a look. I guess what type of programs are you offering that maybe other childcare centres and other early childhood centres aren't offering? So I guess, um, again, it's easy for me because I only have, you know, generally four children in a day. I don't have 30 kids that I'm trying to all point in the one direction and that sort of thing. So um, I'm having different age groups makes it a little bit more challenging when you've got, you know, babies and four-year-olds and five-year-olds, you know, you can't kind of all get them to always go in the same direction. But um, I think there's, there's everyday things that you can, that you're doing. So if you're doing painting or you're doing Play-Doh or, you know, you're playing outside that, don't have to be Eurocentric. You know, you can bring culture into anything that you're doing. So whether or not it's the toys that you're using, having um, multiracial dolls or, um, you know, books and things like that that show a wide variety of cultures and just people and families and all that sort of thing. Um, and or being outside and using um, baskets and things like that rather than plastic buckets and, um, you know, just being able to grow a little garden in, in our backyard and go and take our baskets out and pick the tomatoes or the capsicum, you know, have, I've got, we've got chicken out the back that, you know, when it was laying eggs, it's not laying eggs anymore. The kids discussed, um, we could go and collect the eggs and, you know, just do that sort of stuff that you might not get an opportunity to do in larger centers yeah lovely thank you for sharing that lauren um and how about for you other two ladies how are you incorporating um ancestral knowledge and uh i guess all of these practices into your work and into your business and why are you doing it as well i guess it for me it started with you know i worked in the corporate world for a while here in melbourne and then in the not-for-profit sector, and there was so many things that were done and and their culture about the culture of these spaces at times just felt like it went against every part of my being. You know, like I felt like I was in these spaces thinking, am I the crazy one or does this seem really off? You know, the ethics really off here. Um, But no one was calling it out no one was pointing it out and you know there were spaces that were driven by profit margins and um you know hard up kpis and things like that and um and really competitive spaces that were just trying to drive down the uh their cost of goods to try and make you know more profit for themselves and um and that kind of grossed me out. Um, so when I, when we started living Koko, it was, we were 
trying to go against a lot of that too. Like we obviously know we need to make a profit. Well, you know, we've learned after maybe a year or two of not making a profit, you soon learn um, that you need to make some money. Um, but I think, you know, as, as indigenous women, like our lens is as vast as the ocean, you know, our peripheral vision and understanding of cultural spaces, like not only our own, but, um, being able to show up to spaces and have respect for other people's cultures mm. um, we bring into our businesses and we bring into spaces that you know we are we are in um, I, for me I wanted depth I wanted deeper relationships I wanted circular relationships I was so over this transactional way of thinking um, and also for our business like our circular relationship wasn't just between farmer and us you know it had to be also to to you know to papa to, to papa tonuku to mother earth like everything that we do within our business also had to honor our our planet too you know like our packaging has to be home compostable our um uh the ways of cultivation back home you know has to be all supporting organic um it, that was really important for us. Um, I think those, you know, indigenous ways of thinking and um, cultivating of land is is something that I think the world could learn from. Um, you know, there's so much monocropping that is um, depleting our soils of nutrients, and so now we're eating veg vegetables that aren't as nutrient dense as they were you know, 20, 30 years ago because of all the chemicals, because we're trying to adjust Mother Earth to just produce, like, one kind of crop. But, you know, back home in Samoa, you're like, this is my garden. And everyone's like, it looks like a jungle. But, you know, that's the garden. There's, like, so many different vegetation all together uh, working in harmony to support each other's growth. And I think that's, you know, how we work as well as Pacific women. Like, we come together as a community as well and we – support each other's growth. So my answer is the same. <laughs> ditto. Oh, man, ditto, yeah, that's the one. Um, I don't know. That, that's a really hard question, I guess, because, you know, because um, when you first hit me up to do the, um, you know, do the podcast, I was thinking, you know, it was for businesswomen. And I think naturally um, I, I, I'm learning to be a businesswoman because I'm an artist first. So, the, you know, the whole concept of trying to put money on something that I love, you know, like the whole, um, you know, it's, it's hard. Uh, anyway, we're past that. <laughs> but um, I think I think for me, the why was always to share um, the talent, was always to share the knowledge of our culture, was always to um, share just the way we do things, you know, very similar. We, you know, we do it very differently. And I never saw that anywhere growing up. You know, I didn't see much of it and see our culture. Um, I grew up out in West Auckland and, you know, I didn't really know my culture that well. You know, I, for some strange reason, my parents were just, you know, we're in New Zealand, <laughs> we're going to be New Zealanders, you know, we've got we to gotta, fit in, right, you know. Um, so I guess as an artist, you know, searching for um, 
searching for that voice of, okay, you know, who am I, you know, how am I learning my culture, you know, and, and the symbolisms that I picked up off my uncles, off my aunties, malu, you know, I only went to Samoa once in my life um, when I was 12. So apparently if I go back, it's like I've never been before. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a minute. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I guess the why is really just trying to, in the business side of it is trying to capture that love I have for my art to give back to the community or give back to my community through product design and all the stuff that I absolutely love um, in a way where it's like, you know, it, it does tell a story, you know, it comes from, um, you know, our cultural roots and, you know, and I'm always learning along the way, but that's, that's basically the why as well, you know, that was the push to, to sort of push, uh, put Uniquely Pacific out because it wasn't just Samoan um, um, culture. It was, you know, there's, there's so many. Um, I just, I'm just really grateful that, you know, a lot of the people that come to me with their, um, you know, like the workloads that I get, you know, they come to me um, openly about their, their culture, their heritage. And, and I'm, you know, really respectful of that. You know, there are some cultures where I, I won't touch at all, you know, because out of respect, I'm, you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's really just trying to get it out there. And also just to, you know, as a second, are we second or first generation, you know, New Zealand born Samoan, <laughs> first, second, whatever, but, you know, I was born in New Zealand. Um, it's really hard to, you know, like, because I have a family that's, um, you know, we grew up not really speaking Samoan in the house. And then my other half of my family are very, very Samoan, very strict. So, you know, when I leave my house, I'm just like, lady, I go into my uncle's house, you know, sooner the year, you know, like I really have learned through the actions of my own family um, and just things around the house and, you know, the ornaments and the, the ulas everywhere. But um, you know, just growing in it and, and learning more as I go. Um, just putting it into business, business-wise, it's, um, I think it's growing to the point where uh, just recently, um, I think towards, when was it, end of last year, you know, I've been talking a lot about workshops and that. So um, I'm really excited about um, where we're going with that, but maybe I jumped the gun that too. But yeah, so yeah, that's my why. You've reached the end of part one of this episode. Please join us in part two, where we explore some of the barriers they have faced and overcome, the significant lessons they have had in their journeys as businesswomen, and much more.